And this morning, I want to tell you, again, we use names this, in this culture somewhat flippantly. Sometimes we might use a name that is important to us, or maybe it has some sort of ancestral heritage. But the names that we see of Christ speak to who he is, his character, or an attribute that he can wholly hold on to. When we hear a descriptor of who Christ is, this isn't something that was just given as a name, as a fill-in, or something that is there so that we can say, oh, that's nice to identify him. It is something that will tell us, this is who your Savior is. And my hope and my prayer in this is that as we walk through these attributes, you will get a deeper understanding of who Christ is, but more importantly, a greater appreciation of the Savior of whom we worship. And this morning, we're going to be looking particularly at two names. One is child, and the other is the bread of life. It's interesting because when we look at this, when we look at the aspect of child, there is something that we're going to see that is so counterintuitive to how the master of the universe, the king of kings, the lord of lords, would come to present himself. Yet, in how he has presented himself, that is exactly why we worship him and recognize that we are able to draw near to him in a deep, personal, and intimate relationship. The first name that we're talking about is child, and for those of you that are interested, the word in Hebrew is yeled, or in the particular passage that we're looking at, it is pais in the Greek language. You'll sit and you'll think, okay, so what is so important about Jesus being a child? And what I want to encourage you in is this following statement that I'm going to build upon as we move into the passage where it speaks about Jesus in Luke 2, but then also prophesies about Jesus in Isaiah 9. You have to remember that in the time of Jesus, while children were viewed as a great blessing, they occupied the bottom of the social ladder. This is going to become important when we recognize who Jesus is and how he chooses to present himself. To be a child, someone was powerless, they were dependent and subservient to their parents as well as other elderly authority. Why is that important? Think about this for a minute. You have the creator of the universe the master of all things, the one who has created creation, coming to be a child that is dependent upon those whom he has created. There's an aspect of intimacy. There is an aspect of personality. There is an aspect of love, of mercy, and grace in the fact that through God's great plan of redemption, he chooses to introduce Jesus to creation in the manner of a child in a manger. Don't miss this. The other thing that I want you to realize is this is all part of God's plan. This is all part of how God says, I am going to bring a fallen humanity back to myself. One of the things that I want to encourage you in is to always remember that God does not make Jesus plan B. God is not sitting up in heaven going, hey, 
this is what I want to do, and now things have gone awry, so I've got to figure something out, and we're going to move into sort of a, a Hail Mary pass and have Jesus come in, and I hope it's going to work. From the get-go, God says to his people, I am coming to redeem you. I am going to make you mine. You will dwell with me and you will have wholeness in me. And how I'm going to do that is at the appropriate time, I'm going to send you my son who will be a child for you. And so the thing that I want to encourage you in, first and foremost, is that the, world, the, the word child is given to us as a prophetic announcement. This is something that God has planned. This is God's purpose. This is how God is going to bring about redemption for you and I. In Isaiah 9-6, we see this prophecy. And remember, this is stated hundreds of years prior to when Jesus was born. God says in a time where Israel is struggling, where Israel has essentially been moved out, when they have been placed in captivity, he gives an aspect of hope, and he says via Isaiah, for to us a child is born. Stop there for a minute. You are, you are looking at a society and a culture and a world that is used to kings and kingdoms and movements and power and glory and mastery and powerful images and powerful things coming forward to establish something new. And God says, I'm going to bring out something entirely new and how I'm going to do it is I am going to give birth to a child for you. Now, it's one thing to say, okay, great. Let's have that child be born as royalty. But what we're going to discover in a moment is Christ is born in royalty, but he doesn't come as royalty. He is born in the line of David, which is royalty. But we would think, well, if that's the case, then when Jesus is going to be born, I mean, come on, let's have him be born of Herod. Let's at least have him be born of Caesar. I mean, let's give him some position, something where he has predominance, power, esteem, glory, something that would be worthy of his name. But God says, no, that's not what I'm going to do. I love this also, and don't forget this part too. It not only in Isaiah says, for to us a child is born, but to us... A son is given. Now I'm going to just I'm going to park on this for a minute. That whole part is a whole other sermon for another day. But one of the things that we need to remember is that not only does Christ come as a child, being fully human, you have this sort of prophetic movement where it says a son is given. Whose son? Mary's son. Yeah. Joseph's son? Yeah. But the father's son. The movement there demonstrating the triune aspect of who God is. There's this sort of double entendre that Jesus is going to come and he's going to be coming to us being fully God. 
but he's also going to come to us being fully man. And he's willing to come as a child, but not only as a child, he's willing to come, as we're going to see in a moment, not in majesty, not in glory, not with pomp and circumstance, not with power, not with authority, and yet he holds all power and authority in his hand. I love this fact that Jesus comes as a child. I want to take you to a, to a, to a moment. How many of you um, have children? Okay. How many of you remember, and right, uh, I'm not belittling other children, but the birth of your first child? Okay. All births are special, right? We love kids, love them all. But there is something about that birth of the first child that you hold them in your hands and you look at how utterly dependent they are on you. And there is an aspect where you're like, this is awesome. But there's also an aspect of this is terrifying. This child is wholly dependent on me for its survival, its love, its care, its rearing, its growing, and it can't do it on its own. The other thing too is notice and think about the intimate gaze that you are able to give to that child when you stare them face to face. This is what Jesus did to Mary and Joseph as she held him in her arms. And we love this, but here's the thing that I want to share with you. In the Old Testament, as we watch who God is, God in his glory, which he is due and he should have, is someone that if you, if you encounter God, right, in his wholeness, in his fullness, if you stare God in the face, okay, it isn't going to go well for you. We see time and time and again in the Old Testament that if God moves, even with Moses, Moses just barely catches a glimpse of God, right? And what, is, what, is, what happens? He comes down and he's glowing because he's seen just a, just a tiny part of who God is. We know that God dwells, obviously, in the Old Testament, in the Ark of the Covenant. He chooses to dwell among his people. But God says something different. He says, I'm going to give you a son who is the exact representation of my being, and he is going to be born to you as a child. P.S., by the way, he's your son, but he's really mine. And you... You get to stare God in the face. I, I can't imagine as Mary looked down, right? As the wise men came, as the people were introduced to Jesus, as they saw this babe who was wholly dependent on creation, that they were staring at the face of God. And this is the better part, that because God was willing to do this, he's saying, I love you so much, yet I am so holy that you in your sin, right, 
should not be close to me. If you, if you come to me with your sin in the Old Testament, you, because I am holy, are going to essentially Indiana Jones melt away. But I'm coming to you now through Jesus, who is a child, and you are going to be able to hold him. You are going to be able to see him. You are going to be able to touch him. You can look him in the eye. You can see who he is. And if you want to know me, the Father, my glory, you look to my son Jesus. And when you see Jesus, you see all that I am, all that I was, all that I ever will be. In that little babe. A child given to us who was born. The word child is not an afterthought. The word child is not an accident. The word child is not plan B by God. The word child is exactly how God chooses to redeem us. And I love the fact that we, we look at this and it is important to understand the theology behind it but oftentimes in understanding the theology behind it, we miss the intimacy that's right there in front of our face. For centuries, you hear about a loving and compassionate God that is with his people, yet if you were to see God, his holiness would separate you, you would go down, you wouldn't be around. But yet now God chooses to draw us close so that you can see Christ face to face. Now, earlier I also said, okay, so we're going to have a child. We know that Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the maker of heaven and earth. He is the creator of all things. Any kingdom that we can ever think of, no matter how great it was, and in Jesus' day it would have been the Roman Empire, is but a pittance compared to the kingdom of God. And so again, you would think that if God in his plan was going to say, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to send a son, what I'm going to do is at least entrust him to some royal aspect, something of power, something of predominance, something of dominance. And so you would think that God would say, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to let the world see you face to face, but I'm going to be a little bit cautious here. I'm going to give you to Caesar. You're going to be Caesar's son. And yet, being the king of kings, being born of the royal line. As a child, Jesus is born in poverty and with a unique humility that we never see from other kings. One of the things that I want you to think about, and this is what I want to share with you, and we'll build upon it here just for a minute. Christ being born in a manger, okay, with no room at the inn, demonstrates his desire, okay, think about this, his desire to dwell among the poor and the lowly. I want to stop there, and then I'm going to, I'm going to keep going on this, on this quote. We, we talk about this, and we, we, we speak at Christmas that Jesus was born as a babe in a manger. There was no room at the end. And that's wonderful, and it's part of the prophet, prophetic announcement to assure us that, yes, indeed, Jesus is the Messiah. But 
God's God. I mean, it's one thing to say, okay, you're going to go be born, and P.S., you're not going to be born of Caesar, you're not going to be born of, of, of Herod, you're going to be born in the, in the royal line of David, but I'm going to choose to put you with Mary and Joseph, okay? But at least what I'm going to do when you're born is I'm going to give you a, a, a place of predominance to be born. I'm going to give you a place of safety and security. I'm going to give you a place where you're born and you're not outcast, put away. But God says, no, that's not what I want to do. This isn't, okay, this isn't like God showed up and he's planning and he's like, okay, we got to get a hotel room for the night. All right, we got to pull over. Oh, shoot. There's no room at the inn. Oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? You didn't make a reservation? No, I didn't make a reservation. What? You mean... No, God says, this is exactly where I want you to be born. Because there's a plan and there's a purpose in it. We look at it as almost an accident. God's planned it perfectly and sovereignly and says, this is exactly the reservation that I have for you. This is exactly where you are to go. You are to go to the manger as the outcast to demonstrate your humility, your love, your mercy, and your grace to help and know, let the people know that you dwell among the poor and the lowly. Even though you are royal, even though you are king, even though you are due all glory and honor as a child, I'm going to place you in that manger so that the poor and the lowly, the people who have no predominance, the people who think that they are unworthy, the people who think that they are not holy, the people who are not part of the religious order, can come to you and worship you as king because you've come to them as the humility of a babe, a child in the manger. Christ the king comes as a servant to mankind, a child who is dependent upon creation, born in a lowly feeding trough, outside of warmth, yet he's king and creator of the universe who has come to save us from our sin. It, it boggles my mind that Jesus would first and foremost say, I'm willing to humble myself to become a man. I'm willing to go down to the earth to redeem people from their sin. But yet he does, and he does so willingly and joyfully as we read in the scriptures. And he says, I'm willing to do it how you want, Father, so that people can come to me wholly and freely, no matter who they are. I wonder how that conversation might have gone. I mean, Jesus could have easily said, okay, I'll do this, but I mean, at least put me up at the Four Seasons, right? At least put me somewhere where there is some aspect of majesty. At least, at least have me be born in some city of royalty, not some far-off place that nobody's ever heard of, and P.S., by the way, then be placed into, not the inn, but a feeding trough 
outside of where you would go for warmth and comfort. But the message that God is giving there, the message that God is saying is, I don't want to have majesty about him because I don't want anything to be attractive to him other than who he is. And friends, what I want to tell you is this. Lovingly, as we're going to see in a moment, it is so important to see the humility of Christ because when we come to Christ and Christ alone, not Christ and, not Christ or, not Christ if, Christ alone, the babe in the manger, the savior of mankind, that is what God is after. And yet... When we do, we have the opportunity to stare God in the face as a babe in the manger, no longer fearful. That if we do, God is going to cast us away from him because of our sin. As a child, Jesus is born in poverty and with unique humility. We talk about humility. We talk about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And there are so many times when I look and I think, if you want to look at the humility of Christ, start focusing on the babe in the manger. And then the other thing that I want to share is this. We look at this aspect, okay? We read it in Luke 2, 4 through 7. That's kind of the passage that I'm, I'm coming uh, uh, to you with. That is sort of the announcement or the, the verification of the prophecy that I spoke about earlier in Isaiah 9, 6. And uh, actually, I'm going to grab this one. My getting older and my eyes are not as great to uh, look on my smaller Bible here, but... So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee and Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. Don't miss that, okay? Right there, that's the key that the Savior is born in the royal line, okay? He's royalty. Make no mistake about it. He's born in royalty. He is due a royal birth. He went there to register with Mary, who pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time for the baby came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. Stop there for a minute. She gave birth to her firstborn a son. Just, just pause there for a moment. The maker and creator of all that we know, as vast as the universe is, as small as the smallest electron or micron or whatever it is these days, who knows all, is in all, is through all, has created all, is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Lies is a helpless babe. She wrapped him in clothes 
and placed him in a royal, esteemed estate. Placed him in a manger. Real fast, how many of you uh, have ever watched The Crown? Okay, anybody a fan of The Crown? Anybody seen that? All I'm going to say is this: If you ever watched The Crown, okay, if if one of their royal lines was born, and they were born in a manger, The Crown would be having a fit. And if you've seen The Crown, I think you would get where I'm coming from. You don't put royalty in a manger. And everybody there would be having a terrible fit saying, this is awful, this is terrible. How could you do this? This isn't a demonstration of who they are. They are not to be born in a lowly manger. Yet God says, this is exactly where I want my son to be born. This is exactly how I want my son to be born. This is exactly what I want to do. Because in that, there is a meekness and a lowness that will enable the poor and the lowly, the broken and the hurting in their spirit to be able to come to me and to be saved because they realize that while I am king, I have come to serve and to love and to give myself to you so that you might have eternal life. And so friends, one of the things that we see in the word child, it is given to us as a prophetic announcement. As a child, we must remember and recognize that it is God's plan, it is God's purpose, it is God's desire, it is Christ's willingness to be born in poverty and with unique humility. And interestingly enough, don't forget, where is Jesus born? Bethlehem. Okay? pretty interesting because that's going to become important in just a minute. Now, the other thing that I want to share with you is this. How should we respond to this? How should we respond to the fact that the king of kings, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who created all things was born as a babe in a manger? There's an aspect of how we should respond to the offering that Jesus brings when he comes in humility and dependence and mercy and grace upon creation. And it's interesting that how he presents himself is what he will then say we are to come to him as. And that's the next point that I want to make for you. Friends, as children of God, we come to Christ in humility recognize our poverty or sin and our need for him. We are to come to him as a helpless child. I want to share with you uh, the passage out of Luke uh, 18, verses 16 through 17, and I'd like to build around this as well to encourage us in our walk as well as our relationship with Christ, but also for those of you that may not know Christ, an encouragement on how we are to come to him. Luke 18, 16 through 17 says this, but Jesus called the children of God to him and said, let the little children come to me. Okay, now stop here for a minute. What did I say earlier? In Jesus' day, children were a blessing, but they were the lowest on the social ladder. Okay? 
And so what's happening here is Jesus do, is doing his thing. These children are coming up to him, and some people are kind of going, hey, get, get away. You know, Jesus has some business here. He's got to do some stuff. You get away from him, right? And that's culturally what they're doing. They're just saying, you know, we're not trying to be mean, but you guys just don't, you don't hold a position here, okay? Get Jesus to the important people, okay? And what does Jesus do? He says, no, no, no. Let him come to me. Little kids, right? Um, next, next question for you. Uh, how many of you just, just delight, right, when you come home and your son or your daughter, like, you get in and you're, like, barely in the door and they, like, come running up to you and they give you a big old hug and they're like, daddy, 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 right? Or mommy, mommy, mommy. What if you came up to the father? Daddy, daddy, daddy. I'm so excited to see you. Daddy, daddy, daddy. And he said, get away from me. I've got business to do. That's not Jesus. So having been a child, he turns to these kids and he says, let them come. Let them come to me. Let them be part of who I am. Let them see me. And what I love about this is, is this is happening in real time. This is happening as Jesus is walking the earth and part of establishing his kingdom. But also, in a bigger level, friends, we can come to him as a child. Daddy, daddy, daddy. And he says, my son, my daughter, it's so good to see you. Jesus said to the children, let the little children uh, come to me and do not hinder them. Let them come and don't stop them. And then watch this. For the kingdom of God belongs to these. Think about that for a minute. Think about how beautiful that statement is. But also think about how infuriating that statement would be to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Socially, kids mean nothing. I am part of the religious order. I know all of the texts. I do all of these things. I am high in the religious order. And you're telling me that these kids who mean nothing socially, theirs is the kingdom of God? Yes. And then he says one of the most profound statements for all of us today. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Please don't miss this. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never end, enter it. What does that mean? 
Friends, one of the things that I want to share with you is this. Um, I, am, I am wholeheartedly a fan of apologetics. I love apologetics. I think that they are important. But one of the things that I think is so challenging today is that so many people want a resume of Jesus before they will trust in him. And I'm not saying it's wrong, but we have overemphasized, we have overemphasized proving, demonstrating, rather than saying, look, at the end of the day, how you come to Jesus is like a little child, wholly dependable upon the one who has created you. You place your entire being, your entire livelihood, your entire existence into the hands of the creator like a little child, a babe in a manger, wholly dependent upon God. But I want to know more. I need to know more. I have to know this. I have to do that. Or... I'm going to come to God, not as a helpless babe, not as a child saying, Dad, I need you. I can't do this in my life. I have no idea. But we come to God with a resume, and we say, God, you need to accept me because I've done X, Y, and Z. God says, good for you. But that's not why I accept you. I accept you when you come to me in your brokenness, in your helplessness, as a child, like a child, wholly trusting that I will care for you. And what I love about this is I think too often there's too many teenagers out there when they come up to God. Notice how like... uh, a, a, a little child, right? They're dependent. Dad is like everything, right? They love coming to dad. Dad is everything to them. And then they become a teenager and they want nothing to do with dad, right? Can I ask a, a loving question of you? Are you a teenager? Or are you a child? And here's what I love. Nine times out of 10, once that teenager actually gets into the real world and becomes about 25 or 30, what do they do? Dad, you were right. (laughs) Friends, what I'm telling you is this. Come to Christ as a helpless child, okay? I'm not saying not to study, not to know that apologetics aren't important. But at the end of the day, When it's all said and done, we can reason, we can logic, we can ask for proof, and we have it. We don't need to be afraid of it, okay? But at the end of the day, after all is said and done, how you come to God as a helpless child saying, Lord, I need you, and I come to you wholly in faith. I find it interesting, too, as we look at the the, the prayer that we, we pray, okay? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. If we mean it, then we don't come to God with a resume. We come to God as a helpless babe, a child who wants to run to the Father and say, I am yours, take me and embrace me. 
Friends, we look at this and we've seen that the first name child, Yelid in Hebrew and Pais in Greek, is this unique aspect that we shouldn't miss. We should remember about the humility of Christ. We should remember and recognize that this is a prophetic announcement, the plan of God. This is something that God will do. It is not something that he looks and says, I need to do something different because things have gone awry. But also, Christ, remember, as a child is born in poverty with unique humility. And the reason for that is so that the poor and lowly in what? Wealth? Status? Position? Power? Spirit. Friends, when we recognize that in and of us ourselves, because of our sin, how poor we truly are. That our Redeemer is the one who pays our entire debt. When we humble ourselves and say, Father, I come to you and I have nothing to offer. I have no resume. All I have is a child who is wholly dependent upon you, but I'm trusting you to give me what I desperately need. That's when the Father says, come my son, my daughter, and you are mine. The poor and the broken in spirit. The next word that I want to share with you is the bread of life. It's interesting. It's artos zoes in Greek, if you're interested in what that is. Jesus is going to come forward, and he's going to give a series of seven I am statements. I am said thing. Right? Now, before we get into that, I want you to remember, where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. Now, this is important because it's prophetic. This is where Christ is to be, be born. But also, the next thing I want you to see, born in Bethlehem, the house of bread, and you're like, what do you mean? Okay, Jesus is the bread of life. Bethlehem in Hebrew is bet lechem, and it is translated the house of bread. Purpose, irony, prophecy, the bread of life comes to us being born at the house of bread. God is telling us that this individual whom you will worship will become one of which you will gain your daily sustenance from him. But you will also gain eternal life from him as well. I want to take a minute and uh, just to kind of give you an understanding of, of what this is all about, okay? Bread in ancient Israel was a necessary staple to ensure one's survival. Okay, don't forget this. Okay, bread is important. Born in Bethlehem, the house of bread, Jesus arrives as the bread of life. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Give us this day our daily bread.
In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus instructs us to pray for our daily bread, demonstrating the necessity for our daily provisions to come through Christ. Father, as a child, I'm coming to you and I'm asking that as I go day by day that you will provide for me that what is, what is, is what I need, whatever that might be. But also I'm coming in a dependence upon you to provide what I need. Later Jesus says that he's the bread of life, meaning that he is the only one. Okay, this is a big statement. I am the bread of life. Okay? It's a big thing to say. It means that he is the only one who enables us to live forever. I will sustain you. I will be with you. But I will also redeem you. Why? Friends, later on, and P.S. by the way, side note, um, thank you uh, to Dan and Joe McKinney and the others who so kindly and willingly, um, when I came to them the other day and said, hey, we didn't have communion last week. Um, can we have communion this week? They were like, sure, no problem. So we're doing communion this week because I didn't want you to miss out on this. And they were willing to do it, no problem. So thank you. I just I want to make sure that I get in there. And whoever else was involved in putting this all together, uh, I don't know who it was, but whoever you are, thank you for doing this. In being born in Bethlehem, Bethlehem, the house of bread, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And here's what's interesting. What does Jesus do on the night before he is betrayed with his, what, followers? He breaks bread. And what does he say? Mm, that's a mighty fine bread. Probably was. Because I want to tell you, mm, that is some mighty fine bread. It's the bread which represents his body, which will be given for you and I so that we might have eternal life. Friends, when we commune, when we eat of the bread, we are depending upon God for daily provision, but we are also praising God for the fact that he, as the bread of life, has redeemed us from our sin and made us whole before our Father. And that we have a kingdom, that we are sons and daughters of the living king, and that we have an internal inheritance. But the other thing that I want to share with you is this. There's a unique aspect because so many people were dependent upon the bread. And so here's what I want to tell you. When Jesus comes and says, I am the bread of life, he is saying, I will give you eternal life. But he's also saying, you don't need anything else but me. Let me, let me say that one more time. You don't need anything else but me. As a bread of life, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, may we find full satisfaction in Christ alone. We are so distracted. We are so 
easily chasing after so many things that we think will bring us fulfillment and purpose and wholeness and happiness and long life and prosperity and all of these things. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. There are no others. You need no more. There isn't something else that you need to go to and find. And so lovingly, because God is our provider and Jesus is the bread of life, we have the promise that when we freely accept this bread, we will no longer hunger. The first of seven I am statements by Jesus describes the way that as followers of Christ, we are to find full satisfaction in and through Christ alone. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't go out and work hard at a job and do whatever it is that you love and enjoy. But friends, where are you looking for your satisfaction? Where are you looking for your wholeness, your purpose, your identity in who you are? Because there is no greater identity. There is no greater connection. There is no greater relation than being a follower of Jesus Christ, redeemed by the King, the maker of heaven and earth, and being called a son or a daughter of the living King who has an eternal inheritance in his kingdom that will last forever. And so when the world tries to pull you away and say, you know, your identity should be this. Your identity should be your job. Your identity should be your position. Your identity should be your talent. All of those things are good. But at the end of the day, my identity isn't the fact that I'm a pastor. My identity isn't the fact that I'm a father. My identity isn't the fact that I'm a Broncos fan. My identity is, is I am a broken sinner in need of a savior who has been redeemed by a savior who was born as a child to bring me as a child to become part of a kingdom that has no end. I want to take a minute. It's interesting. I just I want to read a little bit of what Jesus says in this statement. Okay? We're going to be, if you'd like to follow, uh, it might be up on the, on the screen, John 6. We're going to start off in 48. Um, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna, for, uh, for, uh, manna in the desert, yet they died. Okay? Don't miss this. God provides manna, okay, so he provides for his people. He's there and he cares. But in the end, they die. But here, okay, Think about this for a minute, okay? Now, please, I, I, I don't want to, you know, heresy or anything like that, but just, if I were Jesus, okay? Just, I'm not. But if I came up to you and I said, I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate men in heaven, but they all died, okay? And then, I turn to you and I say, but here, me, right? 
is the bread that comes down from heaven. Which a man may eat and not die. That's a big statement. And that's exactly what we're going to do when we, when we reflect on what Christ has done for us in communion. Take and eat, for this is what? The bread that is given to you, the body that was broken, a new covenant in my name. I'm coming to you, and as the bread of life, I'm offering you eternal life. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. I love this. If anyone eats of this bread, now please hear me, right? Okay. Eating of, of bread, okay, when we commune, eating of bread isn't going to save you. The bread of life is Jesus, eating of him, okay? Putting your relationship in him. If you place your relationship in him in an intimate way, eat of the bread. Remember the scene that Jesus is giving and the scene that Jesus is in with his disciples at the Last, uh, the last Supper is deep, it is intimate, and it is connected. This isn't the American meal that we have in 15 minutes and then rush out to a soccer game. It is long. It is close. It is personal. It is intimate. It is the deepest form of fellowship that you can have with another person to break bread with them. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Light bulb, ding, 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 ding. This bread, this bread that I'm talking about, it's my flesh. Now, okay, just be careful, right? Jesus isn't saying that we need to become cannibals, right? Just, just, I don't want anybody, hey, you know, Pastor Trevor said that we need to, like, become cannibals. No. In, a, in, a, in an analogy, Jesus is drawing from a purpose that people would understand, and he would say, I am the bread of life, but what I'm going to tell you is the bread of life is me, my body, which is going to be broken and given for you. This bread is my flesh, which I will give Holy, freely, graciously, humbly, willingly. You can add all kinds of, of uh, expletives there, adverbs. For the life of the world. Friends, we celebrate today. We have life because of the bread of life that Christ gave, which was his flesh, so that we might have life through him. And then I love this. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They totally missed the point. 
Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. When we commune, it is, it is a moment where we are doing business with God, but it is also the moment where as we commune with him, we are demonstrating and saying, we have life with you. Whoever eats my flesh, okay, not cannibal, places their faith and trust in him, makes him Lord of their life, communes with him as we will celebrate here in a moment in communion, and drinks my blood, okay, again, his blood that was shed, we do that through wine, Christ did that to represent his blessing. remains in me and I in him. When we commune, do you realize that each and every one of us who is a follower of Jesus has the holy God, the maker and creator of the universe dwelling with inside us through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit? I get to look out upon you. You get to look upon me. And we are not God, and we are not Jesus. But the Holy Spirit is within us. Because we are his, and the Holy Spirit is the deposit and the guarantee that we are a child of a king. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks of my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. I don't know when that day is. Only the Father does. But I can tell you what a day that's going to be. For my flesh is real uh, food. You want to be sustained. You want to be whole. You want to be nourished. Eat my flesh, be who I am, drink from my blood, place your faith and trust in me, commune with me. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Can I ask you a loving question? Are you feeding on Jesus? Are you feeding on Jesus? Not on social media, not on the greatest trends, not on the greatest fads, but feeding on him for your wholeness, your purpose, your meaning, your sustenance. I know I'm going a little long. I'm almost done, guys, but I just, oh, I pray that that God is speaking and driving this home for us.
58. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. He says it once again to kind of drive that point home. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. And I love it. Where does he say this? When he's teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. The very place where the religious people who should know all of this completely miss it. Friends, it is not about religion. It is not about being a religious person. It is about feeding on Jesus, who is the bread of life. And how we do so is we come to him as a helpless child in need of a savior. What does it mean to call Jesus child and the bread of life? I leave you with this. As a child born in humility and poverty, we are to come to Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. And as the bread of life, find full satisfaction in Christ alone. Father, uh, we do come before you and we're going to move in a moment into a time of communion. And I just pray that um, as we look at who you are and, and we understand more and more about why you came as a child and, and, and how you came as a babe in a manger, how you want to relate to us. And then also knowing that you and you alone are the bread of life. You are the one who brings sustaining grace on a daily level, but also brings eternal life because you give us your bread, your flesh, so that we may have life. I pray that we would rejoice in that. I pray that we would reflect in that. I would pray that we would look and see truly how wonderful you are. And as we commune, as we, as we eat the bread, as we drink that wine, it wouldn't be just something to get done and, and just say, great, you know, my sins are absolved and, and all is good. Oh, that's not what it's about. Our sins have been forgiven because of you. Your death on the cross. And Father, may we cherish that. May we revel in that. And because of that, may we want more and more of that bread. More and more and more of you. Father, we thank you for you. We thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. We ask that you would just speak to us through the Holy Spirit as we commune together as a body. We pray these things in your name, dear Jesus, and we ask it all by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people say.